Amen. If you could turn with me in Matthew chapter 6, be reading a very small portion of our of Scripture for the text. Amen. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8, it says, Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of, before ye ask him. Amen. Your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Amen. If you could lay your Bibles down, asking God to continue to touch and move, his presence is here. Let's be sensitive to the Holy Ghost and allow God to continue to move in this service this morning. Let's talk to him. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Savior. of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Can the church say amen? You may be seated. Matthew chapter 5 through 7, it's a passage of scripture of Jesus giving the sermon on the mount. And he begins to, in the passage right after where we're reading in Matthew chapter 6, he begins to share with those around him and begins to give what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. He begins to explain to them how to pray. And it's not repeat after me, but he's given them the principles by which they should govern their life and prayer. He calls out those that pray as hypocrites for the recognition of men and not from God. He talks about them standing on the corner, making their prayers being made known. They're more so praying for attention and to others versus being there to pray to the almighty God who can hear their prayer. He instructs them to take instructs them to take their prayer to a personal level and present the needs before God. And our text is pulled out right in the middle of what I've just described right before Jesus begins to continue in his message and begins to instruct them on how to pray. But I want to highlight the passage that we read from our text about the Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. And so this morning, I want to teach, preach, whatever it may be, but I want to preach on this topic, the God of all things. The God of all things. M way of introduction. The Bible is full of examples that lead the reader to inspiration by building faith in the ability of God. They're there for our benefit and for our reference, for us to understand that God took care of countless things in people's lives. They're documented in these sacred scriptures, the holy book that God has given by the help and the grace of God, I want, by the end of today, this uh, message today, I want each and every one of us to understand that God has all things under control. There is nothing that falls outside the parameter of all things. That's the objective today, so keep that in your mind. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you brought through 
the back doors of this church. It falls under the parameter of all things. All the promises that are referenced in the Bible are wrapped up in all things. The ability, when we talk about the ability of God, the word ability seems limited because we have abilities, because we have skills, we have capability, we have potential. And sometimes the power of God gets lost in words that we can also apply to us. But we cannot do all things. On our own, we cannot do all things. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 26, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So we see just in Scripture the words of Jesus teaching, letting them know you cannot do this on your own. But all things are possible with him. You cannot do this on your own. And I'm a a planning type individual. I try to prepare. I don't like the element of surprise. I try to have as many things with me as possible. But sometimes life catches you off guard. But God is there for when you're prepared and you think you are. But God will prove to you that you don't have everything all together. The the, the words of a self-made man are a danger in themselves because you have made what you think is right. But God has other plans. We can do all the preparation for life that we think is necessary, but there will be times in your life to where you'll find yourself thinking, I wish I'd have done this, I wish I'd have done that, and we try to do this, and I have a list for that, and you try to work through all of the scenarios of life, but God is the only thing that can step in, the only one we can lean on that we can step in and say, God, I need you in this very moment. He is the one that can do all things. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 1, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. No matter what you pray about, no matter what you lift up to the heavenly host and begin to entreat and ask God, he is able to hear and to do all things. The apostle Paul writes unto the Philippian church, thanking them for the provision that was sent via a representative. And he begins to give this very familiar passage of Scripture And if you have the time, sometime go and study Philippians chapter 4, the book of Philippians. There's only four chapters in it, but go and study it. There's so much that's packaged up in Philippians chapter 4. But it says in verse 19, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. We know that God is limitless. There are no constraints upon God. We know He can do everything that we could ever ask. We know that there are no scriptures that are given to us through this sacred text where God ever said, that is beyond my capability. There were times, many times, 
where God lifted his hand off of those people and allowed the things that we would consider to be a trial to happen to them, for it to occur in their life. Just think of Job. But God never intended for his people to be burdened down with never-ending needs. That was not by design. The reason we have so many needs is because we hold so many needs, because we think we can take care of so many of these needs. So before we get into this any further, I want us to have a clear understanding on what is a need. And my explanation, my approach may be simple, but I'm just a simple-minded person. But having a need, something that we seem to overuse the word and it becomes too lost in translation, it can mean so many things. So for the sake of what we're going to be talking about, I want to make sure we're all clear on what a need really is. Having a need is something that affects everyone. And if we were to poll each and every one of you today, no doubt the majority of the church family, those listening, everybody here today would have some form of what we would call a need in their life. It would be a very high percentage of this audience today. But a need is to be in want, as defined by Webster. A primary sense is to press a want for occasion for something, or a necessity, a state that requires supply or relief. It sometimes expresses urgent want. And a need can be spiritual, and it can also be physical. But many times the physical and the spiritual mix, and that need is presented as one. For example, a healing, the physical side of it. It's not always physical only but as we read in the story of Job, you'll find that uh, Job's physical need was very much a spiritual attack upon him. So don't try to sugarcoat things and think, well, I'll just take a Tylenol and take care of this, or I'll just medicate this, or I'll go to the doctor and take care of this. There are times when the physical is more spiritual than you could ever imagine. And I've been there. And I've heard of others that's gone through the very same things in their life. But I remember a period of my life that it seemed to extend for several years to where it was never-ending physical things that were happening that had absolutely no resolution. Had doctors look at me and say, Mr. Goff, we find nothing wrong with you. Why don't you try this? War, multiple times war heart monitors, and stayed with those for three days, took, took EKGs, absolutely no results found, said you have a perfectly fine heart. Wore a monitor, I can't remember for how many days, and some of them I think went long term, and they're like, every time something happens, press the button. And I remember sitting in the doctor's office, talking to the doctor, and he's telling me, if anything, you feel anything different, I want you to press the button and I reached up and pressed the button because it felt like something was going wrong. And he looked at me and said, you okay? No. They read the results and absolutely nothing wrong. I've been there to where it felt like the devil was giving a never-ending attack, an onslaught upon my physical body. 
But there had to be something that had to be won through the Spirit in order for there to be victory from the physical attack that was present upon me. And there are those today that no doubt can relate to what I've just mentioned. But there also is a need for God to reach down and touch in these times. You cannot medicate yourself out of a spiritual attack. This may be the peace that you need. It could be the patience to allow God to work in His time. Or it may be the strength in prayer to sustain you. I don't know if you can relate, but I've been there in times to where the physical body, been kneeling down at an altar after the amazing, anointed, preached Word of God, convicting my heart and kneel down at an altar and begin to pray and your physical body begins to hit its limits and you feel like, well, I'm just tired. I'm going to go ahead and get up. But I felt there was something so much more that God was wanting to do in that moment that it was worth digging deeper and to transition my prayer to God I need you to reach down and give me strength in this moment because I know that the preached word was for me this morning or this service. I want you to reach down and touch. And so we see the strength of God reach into those moments and lift the burden of the physical limitations to allow the body to begin to press on and to feel after God and what God was truly trying to do be done. But our flesh will limit us every chance it gets. Every chance it gets. From the physical perspective, we find where God provided for the children of Israel. It's referenced, we find in multiple times in Scripture, talking about the, the shoes not wearing out and the clothing not wearing out and the food that He provided. In Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 15, And He gave us them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought us forth water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And promised them that they should go in to possess the Lamb which thou hadst sworn to give them. That's a very uh, physical uh, provision that God gave to the children of Israel. We can look on the spiritual side of it, of Psalms 84 and verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield, and the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. God knows how to take care of of his children. He is the God of all things. And it goes beyond just the individual level, but it also goes down to the, the, the great, uh, the, the broader group level that you could have within a church body. It, just as he did, he took care of the children of Israel and fed them and clothed them and gave them direction and let them live in the promises. But it breaks all the way down to where you have individuals named that God does this time and time and time again. And we can stand this morning and give testimony of how God takes care of the physical and the spiritual sides of our each and every one of our lives. You would be shallow to think that God can only do a few things for you. Now when we look at what I've mentioned so far and we try to understand where is the application of this, this could apply to people that have been around church and filled with the Holy Ghost and God's working and moving in life, but also those 
that don't fully understand what's going on in a service such as this and don't understand what it feels like to feel the presence of God. And by everyone, it's everyone living, a living soul that God is reaching for and talking to this morning. Everyone that God knows the intent of your heart, God reaches and customizes a message from heaven to reach down in your time of need, just as we talked about or sang about in the song this morning, breathe on me. We do it all. We ask for him to burn in us. We ask for him to breathe upon us, rain upon us. You see my time of need. And so if you've never experienced the Holy Ghost, God is wanting to touch you and to be the God of all things for you today. People who don't even know the name of this church, God is moving on. And we've experienced it many times where people say, I just looked up the website or I called the phone trying to find somebody that would baptize me in Jesus' name, preach the absolute truth that is clearly laid out in the Word of God. God reaches for souls, as the song says, even when we don't even know it. We don't even think about it. He's working. We see the application for the saint of God. And Jesus used the laws of planting and harvesting, the sowing, and all of those elements to command the believers to sow seeds to see a harvest. The example of the sower has such a deep connection with the audience that Jesus used this in his time of ministry. It's referenced throughout the Word of God. He makes that connection. Basically, everybody knew in order to survive, there had to be a harvest. Sister Goff made some elaborate plans. We've had a raised bed garden that we've been doing for several years now. But we haven't harvested too much from that garden, not from the lack of the ability, but because something keeps coming in and stealing the fruit of all her labors. We have tomato plants. I don't believe we've even picked one tomato off of because something has come in and stolen the fruit on those plants every time. And she'll walk in and say, yep, there's... 32 tomatoes out there. We should be getting them any day. And I grew up having a garden with my family and grandparents. They lived off of it. That's just the way of life it was. Everything was canned. And those memories, I'm like, oh, I cannot wait until we have some nice, thick, juicy, vine-ripened tomatoes and cut those and put some salt and pepper and cut those up and fry some okra and get some squash and fry that up and jalapenos and cut that up and put it in there and and I can't wait, and she'll come in and say, you'll never guess what happened. There was a day I walked out the front door of the house. There sitting on the stoop was a tomato, half eaten. It's kind of hard not to get bitter about God's creation when that happens. Because that tomato had my name on it. Not that squirrel's name or whatever animal's getting them. And you can have the best-looking plants. But if you never get anything from them, they're just a plant for somebody else's benefit. So Jesus uses that. He says, I am, he says, God is the Lord of the harvest. 
And so he gave this example of the necessity. And when I look back in my mind, it kind of deviates a little bit from what I just described. He, Jesus, talking about the Lord of the harvest, and wants the believers to plant a seed. And we're taking our hands off of the seed and surrendering the seed, or if we could say the need, unto God. When we plant that seed and we give it to the Lord of the harvest, it is now in the environment that God controls, not us. Now, we have full control of that seed. We can take a seed and put it in our hand. Sorry, I didn't come prepared. But you're just going to have to use your imagination. This cough drop is a seed. As long as I hold on to this seed, it's in my control. And I can say, devil, you're not going to pry this out of my hands. This promise, I need God to fulfill it. But it's never going to do anything if I keep holding on to this right here in my hand. I can put it in my pocket. I can wear the wrapper out and put another one on there. I can place it in a jar and let it sit there for millennia. But it never does anything until I let go of it and put it in the environment that God controls. So it's not just about, oh, God wants someone out there to work in the fields of harvest and slinging that sickle and picking things up and plucking them from the vine and pulling them from the trees. There's that element. But there's things you have to let go of. The need for God to take care of it. You have to place it within the environment that God controls. Nature is His workspace. And when we place something in the hands of God, everything goes according to His plan. And the Lord of the harvest protects the fruit that He wants to come from that. And so today, I know this is so simple, but the reason we have so many needs is just like I said before. We walk around and we collect them. And we hold on to them. And we name them. And we, oh, woe is me. And then we find that we put them in a nice little box. We put a little name on it. This is Douglas's needs. But yet, you'll stand up and thank God for a faithful God, and He provides. But then you can pull out these needs, and oh, I'm just waiting one day, one day, this one's going to come to pass. But yet, I have not put them within the environment that God controls. I carry them around in my pocket, and I become the caretaker of all my needs. Instead of giving them to the God of all things. And they become my possession. And they never grow into the promise that God fully intended. And yet we, we handle them as if, if I ever let one go, I don't know what's going to happen. If you could just have faith in God. And let Him manage the harvest. Let Him manage the soil. You know what? He'll take that stony ground that the Bible talks about where seeds being planted upon the stony ground, that's our problem. That's the places that we want God to take care of and, and change us. That's what we need to focus on. It's not the seed. 
It's not the need in our life, but it is truly taking care and saying, God, it's all yours. And back away. And watch it grow. And then he becomes the God of all things. In the example of the harvest, Jesus makes it very clear that we, the laborers, are needed for the harvest to be gathered. And Jesus was prompted to make this statement after going through Galilee, teaching, preaching, and healing the people. If we read in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But he saw the multitudes, and he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. What I find interesting, if you'll put verse 35 back up there, Sister Jasmine, you want to look at the very first. It says, and Jesus went. That tells me that there is no harvest, there's no field, there's no fruit, there's nothing to even go do until Jesus goes. You see that Jesus went through the cities and the villages and the synagogues and he taught them and he preached the gospel of the kingdom and he healed them and every disease among the people was taken care of. And in that very moment, he was the God of all things. It doesn't say, but he left this to the disciples. Jesus went and did this himself. And then when he realized, stood back and looked and seen the people begin to waffle and step back and begin to drift because there was no anointed, God-given man to walk in and take care of this. He says, you men, I need you to go out. You're needed. I'm calling upon you. I want you to go out and labor among the field. You may want to know, let me say it this way, if you want to know what moves the heart of God, is people willing to be changed. He wants to keep them going in the right direction. And so God will move heaven and earth to put a laborer in the right place to work the harvest because it's that important to him. There is an example in 1 Corinthians and where it talks about the harvest and I don't know, there's something, some things I have a little bit of a quirk about. Uh, not that it makes me special, but it just makes me, I, I try to put as much reverence to the Word of God as possible. And when I'm writing or texting or searching or anything, there's just something about, like if I accidentally put a lowercase g for God, I have to go back and I have to uppercase that. You can't diminish God. I can't, oh, well, it's just a text. No, I'm sorry. It means a little too much to me. If I start doing those little things, I'm pruning the plant that God is trying to grow in me. 
that he can get something of fruit from me. And if I start to diminish him in any way, and even when I write the word harvest in the sense of the spiritual sense, in the application, I have to capitalize the H because I'm trying to, in my mind, make the statement that it's not just something I can handle. It's something that I need the help of the Almighty God to be a part of. A harvest of souls is the fulfillment of the job description of the church. And we cannot diminish what harvest means. We cannot diminish the power of the word harvest because we are laborers in that field of harvest. And the Apostle Paul, he emphasizes our role and how nothing is going to happen unless God is in the middle of what you are doing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, it says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Verse 7, so then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. You can look around and you can stand on your pinnacle of accomplishments of the things of this world. And you can look at the accolades and you can print off articles, you can save emails, you can write them down and document them in journals and you can share those and you can post them on social media, but he is the only one that gives the increase. And you can do whatever you want in the flesh and you can spend all the time of your life trying to accomplish specific things, but I'm here to tell you it is God that gives the increase. There is nothing that you have today if God did not say you can have it. And it is our obligation to do as He has commanded. But it is more than being busy. We have to be about our Father's business. And it's sad to say that so many Folks, people that go to church don't understand their purpose. But I'll give you a clue. And if you can follow this, I promise it will unlock the doors if you're wondering what you are to do in life. What is my calling? To find your purpose, you must first find the field. And God will begin to bless you and multiply things upon your life if you're willing to work. It used to be back in the day that family worked in the field together. It didn't matter how old or young you were. It was everybody had a responsibility. And when you sat at the table, it was a collective reward for everyone because somebody picked those eggs. Somebody... Uh, milk that cow. Somebody went out and worked in the field. It was a collective work. And that's how the kingdom of God is. You have to find the field. You have to find your labor. You can't stand back and watch and wait and find out, I just don't know where I fit into the body. Well, here's where you fit in. You go get your hands dirty. You find yourself in the field. And here's what will happen. If you've ever worked on a job where you had a group of people you may have been supervising and you have a group that are there working and the ones that don't know what they're doing, they'll stand out really quick. And then that person that has that keen eye will watch and they'll say, you know what, 
here, why don't you come over and do this? I appreciate your willingness to work, but I think that you need to start doing this first, and then we'll work you into this over here. They don't say, you idiot, you imbecile, you don't know what you're doing, you need not even show up to work, I hate you, you're worthless. No, you walk over and you start to build that individual. You invest in them. You show them the right way. You break it down to the basics. And that's what we are here today for, saints of God. If you're doing nothing, it's not because he's belittling you, not because God is beating you down. You just need to step out into the field and run your hands to the tops of the harvest and feel the souls that God has put and entrusted into this church and say, God, put a burden upon my heart. And the man of God that gets up, our bishop gets up and begins to preach, and he'll give you instruction. He'll say, you know what? I would like for you to go do this. And you get worth. You get value. You begin to understand about what it's all about. You cannot get job assignments if you won't step into the field and work the harvest. God has called us all to step out into the field. But we have to be able to let go of some things. I remember many years ago, as an electrician, we had basically pull up on the job site, and you had your vehicle, you throw your tools in there, and you would have your electrician's belt, and you would have all of your tools stuffed in there. But there comes a time to where you can have too many things that it impedes you actually doing the job you're there for. And then you find that if I take out more, I can do more. And I could take out and I could pare down specific tools for the task. But I could find that there were many tools that would bog me down, that if I tried to carry around everything that I thought I was and everything that I thought I needed, that it would slow me down. There were things that I carried that if I didn't use them right would kill me. And there was a time I violated a safety rule and stepped off a set of stairs that didn't have a handrail. And I was carrying a drill over my shoulder, had a ladder over my hand. I wasn't steadying myself. I didn't try to follow the appropriate protocol to ensure that nothing bad would happen. And I tripped and fell at the top of a set of stairs that was a front-to-back split where you walk in like Bishop and Sister Riggins' house and you have a set of stairs that go up and a set of stairs that go down. And I tripped at the very top and I began to fall. And in my hand was a drill. And in that drill was a very long drill bit that we used to drill out and auger all the holes. As I began to fall, that drill began to fall and it twisted and it turned straight at me. And it was just the hand of God that I was able to turn my body and land on my ladder and the drill fell next to me facing up. That was just down the road here on 7 Highway. I thought I needed to carry that, but I didn't. I was trying to do too much. I was trying to save trips. I was trying to get out of there as quick as I could. There are things that we have at our disposal that will destroy us if we keep dragging them around. And our needs become music to our ears because it's familiar.
It's something I feel like I need to have. But God wants us to lay those things down and let Him be the God of all things. Because we get so attached to our needs that we feel like no one else can help. I'll give you an example of how powerful the Word of God is. How many are familiar with a tool, a very simple tool, called a feeler gauge? Anyone ever heard of a feeler gauge? Most men, if you've worked on anything mechanical, you understand what a feeler gauge. But I'll give you a description of it. It's exactly as it's stated. A feeler gauge is just a tool. Normally, they're about this thick, look like a little pocket knife, and you can. they come in different designs, but typically, there'll be a little tool you can hold in your hand, and you can fan them out, and it gives you all different variants of thicknesses, and you're using it to find out if something is within tolerance. And I've done many different, used this many different times, and made many different repairs on locomotives, and if you ever try to eyeball something that requires precision measurement, you will destroy it if you miss it. It won't work right if you miss it. But when you dial something in according to the manufacturer's specification, if you put it there as designed, and if the sensor is appropriate and it works, it will be perfect. It will measure something as it is intended. And what you do is you put that feeler gauge, you find out the required debt, the, the required parameter of which it must have the tolerance, and you slide it under, and you see, is it touching? Oh, there's too much of a gap. You get the next size up. Oh, there's too much gap. And you finally get it dialed in, and you make your adjustment to whatever it is, and you know it is within tolerance. And each gauge represents a measurement. Now, while the Bible is full of many different examples for believers to draw from, to understand how God fits into life's situations, we are instructed to stand upon His Word. In Psalms chapter 119 and verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against Thee. God gives us the Word of God to let us know if we are within tolerance or not. He says, why don't you try reading this verse of Scripture? And if it doesn't move you, if it doesn't touch you, you're out of tolerance. If the preached Word of God doesn't compel you, if reading the promises of God doesn't stir within you your own set of needs that you say, God... I gave that to you this many years ago or just the other day or I prayed this morning, God, I need your help. If the Word of God doesn't reach into your heart and move you, you are out of tolerance. And He cannot be the God of all things if we're not willing to be what God wants us to be. When we're out of tolerance, here's what happens. When you place a turbo engine sensor on a locomotive with a flywheel that's just enormous or you're trying to measure the engine speed of an engine block on a 12-cylinder locomotive engine that's over 4,000 horsepower and you want to just crank it down to get the job done and put that sensor on there and say, hey, boss, I got out. And the moment they start that engine, it will destroy that sensor. 
Or if you have it backed off so far, it will give you erratic readings. If you can't be consistent in the small things that God gives you, you won't be within tolerance. When God says, hey, I need you to do this, you're out of tolerance. You won't give the right reading when someone says, do you go to church? You can't give the right reading. When you're out of tolerance and you're just barely fitting in the mold, and yeah, I've got a wire plugged in, and I'm connected to the computer, but I'm giving really erratic readings when I get up to full notch eight, full horsepower. It's just not there, and people begin to realize something's wrong with the engine, but it really comes down to someone is out of tolerance. Someone is not letting God be the one that's over all things. We've tried to shim up our own reading. We're trying to make it adjust in how we think truth should be portrayed. And that's what churches do every day, even this morning. There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of churches trying to get their own adjustment on the Word of God, and they're trying to make it fit their doctrine. But in the reality, they are out of calibration, and they can never be all things to a lost and dying world because they do not have truth. They've tried to modify things to their own liking, and it restricts the full capability of the church. But if we can all get within tolerance, if we can all get to where we need to be, there is no telling what God can do if we can all get dialed in to the specifications of the Word of God. But that one sensor, engine speed sensor, can stop a mile-long freight train because it says it's not working right because one thing gets out of tolerance. But if you can stand upon the Word of God, if you can lean upon this Word, and you can say, God, put me back in adjustment. I want you to be the the God of all things in my life. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I can't afford to collect needs. We do not hold them in our hands. Or if we could say in our heart and fan them out and say, look at all the needs I have, God. You're going to keep adding to them, and the devil's going to keep dropping, draw two, draw four, if you never let go. Whether you're in the church or you're not, you will continue to collect and amass needs in your life until you can just walk up and say, God, they're yours. I'm done. I've tried everything I can. I can't do this on my own. I surrender all. Take them. I don't care what I've named them. I don't care what box I put them in. God, I'm not leaning on them. They're not a crutch for me. They're not everybody else's problem. They're your problem, God. Take and use me as you will. In Matthew chapter 21 and verse 22, it says, And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. So how this is resolved, how life's problems are resolved, is predicated upon your belief in God being able to take care of them. 
Because it said in verse 21, it says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and it be cast into the sea, it shall be done. That does not sound like collect all the needs so you can be burdened down to me. There is not a need threshold or a parameter you must exceed that you must be burdened down with enough to trigger a response from God to meet your need. He says, need singular. But God meets our need through faith. It is through faith. So when needs are not being met, it is our instinct to hold on to them and collect them. And we make the statement, well, God must not want me to have an answer to this just yet. We use that statement as a cop-out. But God wants to reach down and take care of the need in our life as we hand it over to Him. You see, God wants us to be dependent upon Him. And so when we have a need in our life, we are willing to then give it to Him and say, God, take this. I cannot do this on my own. I'm leaning not into my own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. There's nothing I can do on my own. He is the God of all things. In Psalms chapter 18 and verse 30, it says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. I would much rather walk within the timing of God. I would much rather walk within His ways. They're perfect. The word of the Lord is tried When He gives us a promise through the Word of God, it's there for us to lean on, not for us to observe and move on. God wants us to lean upon His Word. And whatever the need is in your life, whether it be God taking care of a financial, and that's where my minds immediately go to when we think about this. Well, God, I need you to take care of this. And Bishop done a wonderful job preaching and teaching to us about what we should do with tithe and offering. And many times, as he said, we, we give and we expect the check to be in the mailbox the next day, but that's not what God does for us every time. It's upon His will, His way. And that's where if we can lean on His ways, it's perfect. You see, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, I won't read through this, I'll just reference it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 you'll see that he calls out and says we are co-laborers among the body. And he begins to talk about the things that he went through and the things that he experienced. And it talks about how everything came upon him. And if you look at it, it's referenced as in, by, and as. It was in the stripes, the imprisonments, the labors, the watchings, the fasting, but it was by the pureness, the knowledge, the long-suffering, the kindness, by the Holy Ghost, the love unfeigned. And those things defined him. It was not what he went through. It says he went through stripes and imprisonments. 
tumults, labors, and watchings, and fasting, those did not define him. What defined him is as unknown yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. If you get stuck at the very beginning where it's the end, the moment you're in right now, that will define you and it will still destroy you. But you have to lean on the things that the Apostle Paul said. It was by his grace. It was by his love. It was by his hand. It was by the help of the Holy Ghost that now what I am defined, I have been made in all things. The God of all things has made himself present in my life. But it's sad to say that so many people in church, out of church, associated with church, distant, looking forward, saying, yeah, I recognize there is a God. They get hung up in the moment they're in. And they hold on to the moment they're in. The Apostle Paul can name them, but it was only because he had been changed by what God had done in his life. He thought I I was poor, but I was rich, and I gave to all. It's amazing what God can do in your life if you will let him be the God of all things. The need that is present in your life is all a part of his plan. You see, listed, listed in those things that the Apostle Paul defined and wrote to the church at Corinth was the test that God had put in his life. We like to give, and I'm one of them, like to give the blame to the devil every chance I can get. And I like to call him the dirty bird that he is. And he tries to destroy so many precious people around me. But don't lose sight that there are trials that God puts us through. And if you have the wrong attitude, you'll find yourself so focused on something that God's trying to dig out of your life, and you hold on to it, and you will not let go. And you become bitter. And it consumes you. And the test that God's trying to get you to pass, you fail. Because you're wanting to hold on to something. And you use the name of Jesus in vain, but you will not let go of the thing that God wants you to lay down and put it in his environment and let you grow and blossom. He has to be the God of all things. We are not to amass and collect, but we are to search our heart and make sure there are no issues in our heart. The first question that I ask and I pray, God, is there sin in my life? Is that why I can't feel you? Is that why my attitude's this way? Is that why I can't get closer to you? When I am willing to let God reach down into my life and dig it out, and I hand it over to him and say, God, I didn't even know that was there. And that's happened so many times where I thought everything was okay. But it took a sincere heart. And you can ride a pew thinking everything's okay. And you can go sit in every church. You can find whatever name on the sign you want. And you have people that are sincere 
but you also have those that just think everything is okay. But you have to be able to ask God and be willing to accept the answer when he says, as a matter of fact, there is. You do have sin in your heart. And you needed me to reach down and pull it out. The other question I have is, do you have faith that God can answer your prayer? It's more than just praying and saying the words. We'll get to an example here in just a moment. But God wants to do something powerful in your life. We have to believe that He is able to do this. Jesus gave the great commission to His disciples, commanding them to go in all the places, teaching everyone to follow after Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. In order to have the God of all things with you, there has to be obedience to His Word, whether it be preached or read within your own hands. The relief from your need needs to come, comes from when you submit yourself unto God of all creation, the one who desires to reach out into your life and to heal your pain. There's an example that I'll pull from in 1 Samuel, talking, talking about the life of Samuel and how the promise was given. We find Hannah. She came to the house of God to present her needs in prayer. And she began to kneel down and present them in the appropriate fashion that it was commanded. I know these things didn't exist, but I don't find in Scripture, when I look in 1 Samuel, I don't find her doing what many times happens in our lives. She didn't go put it on Facebook and whine and complain to everybody. She didn't text her group friend, her friend's group and whine and complain. It says this happened year after year, and she brought it to the house of God. That's where the answer's at. That's where we get real answers. When God reaches down into your life, and gives you the true answer. But your heart has to be in the right place. The key to Hannah receiving her prayer answered, having her prayer answered, was her attitude towards God and the man of God. Hannah could have messed this all up if her heart wasn't right. Because she'd done everything she knew to do, and she was accused by Eli of being drunk in the house of God. Now, if her heart had not been right, she would have got offended, and she'd have walked out, and she never would have received the promise. But it was because deep within her heart, she was willing to say, oh, no, 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 that's not the case. I'm not drunk. I have just submitted my petition. I have just given the God of heaven, everything that I needed to give. It says she dealt with this for years, dealing with Penina. Penina and her words. Penina and her device of talking. Penina, 
that talked about her behind her back. Penina that kept going year after year, look at my children. And Hannah just said, I just want a son. I don't even have to raise him. I want a son. And Hannah prayed a prayer and poured out her heart. And she says, I'll be his mother until I can wean him and bring him to the house of God. You know what that was? That was a woman who took the seed and said, God, no matter what it is, I don't need to control the outcome. It's in your hands. That is key. The object of your prayer should never take you from the house of God. It should bring you to the house of God. Don't get carried away with your if-only statements. The imagination can take you down a path that you think you need to be happy. Don't get carried away, well, if only God, or if only this, or if only that, if only I could have. Have you ever considered, God, what do you want in my life? I want to pass the test. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's a promise. If you will seek the kingdom of God, if you will step out in the field of labor, all these things shall be added unto you. If you will seek God with all of your heart, you can have peace at night. If you will seek God, you'll feel purity in your heart. God can fill you with the Holy Ghost. God can change your life and turn you around if you will just seek ye first the kingdom of God. If you're lacking, are you seeking the kingdom of God? Because if you're not, you'll never have the God of all things at your disposal. He needs to find you in the field of labor, reaching out and saying, God, can you help me? I need your instruction. I don't quite understand how to do this. Can you help me? And someone will reach over and give you a hand, and this is how you do it. Just the other day, we were all trying to tie a bow tie for a wedding. And if you've never tied a bow tie, don't even think about it. I think Brother Jaheim had it right. Just get one that you pop on and you look good and rock it. Because if you have to tie it, I struggled, and the struggle was real. And I've seen a bunch of grown men that wears neckties every church service, stand there with YouTube trying to figure out, looking through web articles, how do you tie, the horse goes around here, the rabbit goes through, and we struggled. And someone comes in, well, this is how you do it. It helped us. That's what God does. He comes in, and you may feel like you're struggling, but you have to accept correction. You have to accept the direction. You have to be willing to pursue after the kingdom of God. In closing, if the musicians would come this morning, I know I may have bored so many this morning, but I'm here to tell you today I felt in the Holy Ghost this would help some folks. In Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not 
unto thine own understanding in all thy ways. See, there's, he's the God of all things, but we have control over our ways. We have to give our ways unto him. It says, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. You can't mix up your direction and say, well, I'll just insert God a little bit to this and I'll still be okay. These next verses of Scripture that I'll read were written to established churches, but I use them today to appeal to the audience in this service as an example how the early church was commanded to act. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Verse 23, And whatsoever ye do, do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men. If your desire is to have relief from the burdens of sin, the message today is one of hope. It is a promise. Follow after Jesus Christ, and he will give you the answer that you need. Peace right now in your situation. We don't come to church just so we can be accounted on the roll. We come to church because we serve a God that is able to do all things. Because it doesn't matter what we bring into the house of God. He's willing and able to take care of them. But we must present them for the benefit of the kingdom. Not to grow us and, and say, oh, well, I'm going to lift myself up. But it's all for the acknowledgement. He is Lord of all. I can do nothing without Him. I must trust in Him. I must lean on Him. And Jesus commanded His disciples to preach salvation through repentance and baptism and infilling of the Holy Ghost. And the steps to having your needs met today are fulfilled through surrender. And if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, you've never felt the love of God in your heart, you never felt the power over sin, I'm here to tell you, freedom is found in salvation. You can ask the question, do you want peace for your troubled mind? Do you want comfort through your loss? you want joy that can feel and overcome the sorrow that fills your heart right now? I promise you, it is only available through Jesus Christ. He is the answer. He's the only one that can take all of your problems. And the music that they create and they, they, they just create turmoil in your heart, every time you open them up, you see them as unanswered prayers. God can reach down and say, just give them to me. If you will lay them down, I'll heal. If you lay them down, I'll give you comfort. If you lay them down, I'll give you joy. If you lay them down, I can take care of them. But I need you to lay them down. You can't keep holding on to hurt. Because the problem with holding hurt, you don't put it here. It sits right here. And every relationship hurt. Every conversation about the past hurt. Every time you get up in the morning, you look at yourself in the mirror, hurt. But God wants to reach down in His tender love and mercy. 
And he wants to pick you up and hold you as his son or daughter. And he wants to tell you how much he loves you and heal the hurt. But you have to let go. You have to let go. You have to let God reach down into your life and heal you, the broken hearted. And to those, he says, come. Come. All of you that are heavy laden, all of you that have that burden, he doesn't say, I'll add to it. He says, I'll give you rest. I'll lift this off of you, but you have to let go. There were some men who asked the question. If you read back through in Acts chapter 2, you'll read where the apostle gets up and begins to tell them what they had exactly done to Jesus. He begins to share with them that they wrongly crucified him, what they were guilty of. And the men in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, when they heard this, and your heart, if you don't know God the way you need to, which is through baptism in Jesus' name and infilling of the Holy Ghost and walking away from a life of sin. If your heart is not convicting you and saying, what do I need to do, Brother Golf, to get out of this trap that I'm in? What do I need to do to get out of this thing that's trying to drag me down? I'll tell you, they were pricked in their heart from the preached Word of God. And they were willing to be changed. And I showed you that what gets the attention of God? Hearts willing to be changed. When there are hearts willing to listen to His Word, not just from healings, not just from teaching, but when God, walking here on earth, walked through as the man Christ Jesus and began to share this precious gospel that I'm talking to you about today, the gospel of the resurrected Christ, the gospel of the one who reaches down and changes life, it got the attention of God Almighty. And he says, I'm going to send some men. And this morning, through the preached word of God, God has sent truth to the doorstep of your heart. But you have to let go. You have to be willing like these men in Acts chapter, 37, verse, chapter 2, verse 37. And he told them what Peter said unto them and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized. It's not a sinner's prayer. It's not getting down and shedding a tear and walking away because the conviction subsides. It's repentance. And the next step is your action. You go and you submit and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, every one of you, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's a promise. It's not what I'm saying but because it says in verse 39, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And today, God has called you to the house of God. God has called you unto truth. God is wanting to change your life, but you have to let go. If we could stand this morning. Today, you have the opportunity before you to come to an altar and present all to Him so He can be the God of all things. As the musicians begin to play, I open this altar and close out the message that God has laid on my heart. I invite you to talk to Jesus about the need that's present today in your life. And if you come today 
and everything is picture perfect in your life, and there's no problems, and there's nothing that you need of God that cares so much that He would lay a word to come and be preached to you. If you come in here and you are perfectly fine, some, find someone to pray with. Don't walk down high and mighty. Say, God, you have been so good to me. I remember when I laid those things down. God, give me the right prayer to pray with my brother and my sister. I want to help somebody today. God, the word has been spread out upon the field. Let the seeds be planted today. God, you gave me the strength to let go that day. And I reached out and said, you know what? They're coming back home. They're in your hands, God. God, you see this need? You're going to take care of it. It's out of my hands. And if your life is as I described today is just great, find someone. Pray with them. Help them find the place where God can reach down as he's begun to use the word and toil the soil. Turn it over and say, here's the place. I want you to place it right there. And let God put it in his environment, his ecosystem. And let the blood of Jesus wash over you and consume you and let God fill you with the Holy Ghost and be the strength that you need in this very moment. We don't come because everything's all together. We come because we hurt. And we need a God that can reach down and heal the hurt. Can we come and find us a place to pray this morning? Talk to Jesus about the need that is present in your life today. I invite you to pour your heart out just like Hannah did. She submitted her petition unto a God that could hear her prayers. And I invite you to open your heart unto Him and express your heart unto a Savior that wants to heal you today. Hallelujah. We thank you, Savior. We thank you.